Good morning, church. Good morning. There's a little more bass in the in the good morning. Uh, our women are at the Ignited Conference in North Georgia at Dawsonville uh, Christ Fellowship in Dawsonville, Georgia. I haven't talked to my wife, but from what I understand, they were out until about 5:30 in the morning last night. Um, so uh, for all of you who have a returning uh, wife or somebody in your family coming back, they're going to be tired and cranky, so just send them to bed. You put the kids to bed. Um, so they are all there having uh, a, an experience um, together and with God. Uh, so keep praying for them as they hopefully, I don't even know if they're going to make it to church this morning. I wouldn't blame them if they didn't, um, but uh, they will be back tonight. Uh, I just have a couple of announcements for you. Um, the first one is that, and the biggest one, is that next week is Pastor Tim and the Lowry family. It's their last week uh, here as full-time staff members uh, at the church, and so we're going to do a, a proper send-off for him. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to be teaching us next week, and then afterwards we're going to head out to the fellowship hall for a meal um, so if you want to join us for the meal, join us for the meal. If you can bring something aside to share, um, bring aside to share, and we'll do it potluck style. I asked him, I said, what do you want to do? Do you want to get it catered? And he said, I'm easy. I, he just said, I love potlucks. And I was like, I can't blame you, man. And so uh, next Sunday we'll be uh, celebrating him and sending him off um, with uh, just a, a time of prayer and remembrance for all that he's done here um, it is also a family Sunday because it's a fifth Sunday of a month. So that means that there's no faith kids uh, downstairs. Nursery is available, but uh, all the kids from uh, faith kids uh, uh, preschool to second grade will be up here with us. Um, one other thing I want to draw your attention to just briefly um, is that we have Bible study that has returned on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We met for the first time uh, back this last Wednesday night, and we had a packed house. So if you're going to come, get there on time, because if you walk in late, you're not going to have a, a place at the table with the rest of us. But uh, it's a good, it was a good experience, a good time, and we're going to be doing it again this week, Wednesday night at 6.30. Now, um, Oh, one other thing. Uh, the baby bottle project, you see it in our bulletin, and you maybe saw a slide. We're actually going to start that next week. It's in the bulletin because I told Pam we're going to start it this week, and then some stuff happened, and we're starting it next week. So blame it all on me. But as you blame me, stand. <laughs> We did this in Sunday morning prayer, and so I just want to do it with us this morning. I just want you to put your hands out in front of you like this. Get a little bit physical right now. And if you agree with me, you can just say the words after I say the words. You don't have to say them out loud. We're not doing I talk, you repeat, but it, it can be your own prayer. It can be your own plea to God. Father, whatever you have for us, whatever you want to give us, we stand here open-handed for you. We stand here open-handed saying, put in our hands, put in our possession everything that you want to give us this morning. As Jared and the team lead us 
in song this morning. Give us what you have for us. As we open your word, give us what we have for us. As we come to the table together, give us what you have for us. Father, let us close our hands around it so we hold on to you and what you want. Nothing else except what you have for us. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all know if you listen to me, I hate talking. But this morning during the prayer time, I felt like something came that I needed to share because um, I, I don't like to talk and I feel like it came from God, so I'm going to share. Um, but I was praying, you know, the Christian prayer, God, send your spirit to fill me. And he's like, that's not enough. What do you mean that's not enough? He said, spirit needs to overflow in you. I'm like, well, that makes sense. It needs to flow out from up here. He's like, it's not just you. It's everyone. Spirit needs to flow out of you into the person beside of you. It needs to flow out of you when you're out in the world. And then he gave me an analogy, or if you want to be really biblical, like a, a parable. But <laughs> you know, you're five or six years old. You're fixing to go out and play with a neighbor. And uh, your dad gives you a couple juice boxes to take with you because it's hot. And you're playing. And uh, you never really get thirsty because you got your juice box you drink out of it. And your friend that came over, he didn't have anything. You keep noticing, he keeps watching, you drink your juice box. And he's like, boy, I wish I had some juice box. And he's like, you know, because you've got two, you're more apt to give him one. If you've only got the one, and that's all you've got, you're not as likely to share. But then you give him the juice box, and you tell you what, if you want another juice box, you can come back to my dad's house. He's got all you want. So whether you've got the two juice boxes, or you're the one that doesn't have any, and you're needing something, my father's got your juice box if you want one.
season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. All of my life, in every season,
Somebody here needs to surrender. surrender and just let him have it he'll win the battle he'll take it and he'll win you go before I 
all I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Lord, you are wonderful. church we're doing 50 weeks in the word here's what 50 weeks in the word was this was our first week we get one chapter a week each week our church will focus on the chapter you start by reading the chapter every day of the week we had 66 people sign up for 50 weeks in the word and then at staff meeting a couple staff members were like i haven't signed up i haven't signed up i even haven't technically signed up so we're closer to 70 people who, have, who are doing 50 weeks in the Word. We get one chapter each week. We get one memory verse each week. There's one verse from each chapter that we memorize together and that we recite every Sunday morning. And then we have Wednesday night Bible study. Talked about that in the opening. Each Wednesday night, 6.30, Fellowship Hall, we go and we study that chapter. If you wanna join us, you can sign up on your Connect card. If you don't wanna sign up, that's fine. All the information is in the back under 50 weeks. Has this what we need to do? And then there's also the list of all the chapters and memory verses through uh, the end of February. So now, here's the part where we test to see for those who have signed up. So if you're a guest or a visitor, or if you didn't sign up, don't feel bad at this part. Don't feel condemned. It's okay. You didn't say you were going to memorize the verse. And even if you did say and you didn't, don't feel shame or condemnation. But here's the verse, look at it, refresh yourself, and now let's say it together. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 27. I missed a word. 
I said them instead of him. It's okay. Now you can sit down. You've performed your duty. Now sit down. So if you want, if you want to join us in that, grab the sheet from the back. If you sign up, uh, one advantage is that I do email out on Monday morning. This is the chapter. This is the verse. Um, we're going through John 1 this next week. Um, and then John chapter 1, verse 1 is the memory verse. So I'm giving it all to you uh, right now. Um, but this is all part of initiatives we're starting from our Rooted series, our series on spiritual disciplines. And what we're doing is we're, we're wanting to balance the experience of God with being disciplined with God, right? And the past couple of weeks, we've talked about what this healthy balance looks like because we have a tendency, and churches have a tendency to stray to one side where one side's just experience, 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 and then the other side's just like Bible, prayer, discipline. Bible, prayer, discipline. But we want to have both in the healthy balance. We want the word and we want the spirit. We want all of it to converge and root us down into who Jesus is. And I've had this slide up for the past uh, few weeks. But if you only pursue spiritual discipline without the experience of who God actually is, a tangible experience, then you'll risk having a legalistic mindset. You'll risk being, well, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. So therefore, God, you owe me, or I'm better than everybody else. Right? So this, that's one thing that can happen. But if you're only pursuing experience without being rooted in spiritual disciplines, then you'll just risk being tossed and fro, being tossed to and fro. You'll be, you'll be about that deep, right? And, and just one gust of wind can blow you anywhere. And so what we want to do is realize that experience gives life to discipline and discipline gives lasting change to experience. So when we are disciplined, what keeps us from being legalistic is experiencing who God is and his love for us and the depth of his love for his creation. And if we're experiencing God and we're hearing God's voice, we don't want to stray off into paths that are, that, are, uh, that are harmful or hurtful. So we root ourselves in the word and in prayer. And this morning, we're going to talk about fasting and feasting. Fasting and feasting. About three years ago, it was three years ago, uh, in 2020, I asked the church and people in the church, to fast with us every Monday. Every Monday, just fast. And, uh, and from that time forward, the first night we were fasting, me and my wife, it got to be around 8.30, 9 o'clock. Right? That time where you usually have that one last snack right before you go to bed, even though you know you shouldn't, but you have it. And it satisfies that little longing in you. And so uh, my wife was getting hungry and she said, distract me. And so I, I pulled up an episode on our TV of Remnant Radio about dream interpretation. Right? Um, it was a woman that goes, uh, and I was like, ah, dream interpretation, that can get really fuzzy and foggy. But I, I knew this woman was legit because she went to the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, which is pastored by Matt Chandler. And I love Matt Chandler, and I know enough about him to know that he's not flighty. Or, so I thought, okay, this will be solid. So we listened to it, and that night, my wife had a dream. And in that dream, she experienced um, emotional pain and physical pain in the dream. And she 
She, when she woke up, she was startled because the dream was so vivid. And she said, who is that for? And God gave her a name of a man in our church right away. And she said, okay. And she sat on it. She texted his wife. It's like, hey, does your husband deal with this pain in his back? And he said, yeah, he does. He's had it for a while. He said, okay, and left it at that, right? Don't just leave it at that. But that's what she did. We were just learning, okay? And then so the next Monday rolls around, and she, she gets, it gets about 8.30, 9 o'clock. She says, distract me. So I pulled up another episode of Remnant Radio, the man named Brian Blount, who she ends up going to South Africa with last year. And he's talking about praying for people for healing and seeing healing. And his core message uh, or his core theme in the message was just do it. Like the power is there. God supplies the power. You don't supply anything. Right? God does it. So just pray. And so she felt convicted that she didn't do anything the last week. And then she prayed. And, uh, and she said, okay. And God said, just do it. So she set up a time to pray. And she said, I think you're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray for him. She said that to me. And I looked at her and I said, we? I didn't have the dream. I didn't have the revelation. I think you're supposed to pray. And she said, fine. And so they came to my office and she asked what the back pain was like. And he told her he'd been on the floor in Walmart because the pain was so bad and he'd had it every day for months. And the pain he described of it wrenching was the same pain she felt in the dream. And so she prayed for him. Just in my office, she just prayed for him. And it didn't seem like anything happened. Light didn't shine down through the window on us as we were praying. Heavenly choruses didn't break out in song. But as they left, he kept asking his wife, are you sure Lauren didn't put Icy Hot on my back? Because it's burning. And he, never, he had back pain twice after that and has never had it again. And so we had started fasting on Mondays, and there was 30-something people fasting with us. And after that, every Monday, people are telling me stories about what's happening. It got to the point where a few weeks into it, I went home, I would go home on a Monday, and Lauren say, okay, what'd you hear about today? And I'd have a story that somebody else told about what God did. There's this power in fasting, and we'll get to all of this. But right now, if, you're, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read just three verses for us. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. And then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on the old garment, for the patch tears away from the, new, from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Word of the Lord. I've read, uh, this has been happening so much to me. I think it's God keeping me humble, saying, hey, you don't know everything and you don't get everything right off the bat. 
But if you would have asked me about this passage, I would have been 95% sure that the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, we fast, why don't your disciples? But it's the disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist loved Jesus. Right? They were there when Jesus came to be baptized, and John proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They might have even heard the voice thunder from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so they're just asking. They're not trying to condemn. They're not trying to catch Jesus. They say, hey, we fast. Even the Pharisees fast. How come your people don't fast? And he says this. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He says, they are in my presence right now. So they are not fasting, they are feasting. Because they're with me. Right, because the, the, the wedding, the bridegroom, the, the picture of a wedding is a feast. And so they're saying, or he, he's saying, they're feasting right now because I'm with them. Remember that. We'll get to that later. We talk about fasting, and so let's, and, and I've talked about fasting a couple times over the last uh, few years. I've probably spoken about it three times or so. And so if this is familiar to some of you, then it is. Uh, it is. I just copied and pasted these from these next two slides from my old message. But you don't remember, and I'm okay with that. Fasting is a healthy self-denial of food for a period of time. That's the biblical picture of fasting. It is healthy, and it's self-denial of food for a period of time. Part of the problem is, is we think if our stomach growls, we're like, oh, that's not healthy. Let me fill it up real quick. Right, fasting is going after something that you, uh, going without something, excuse me, that you need. You need food. If you don't eat food for an extended period of time, you die. Basic biology, 101. Okay, you need food for life, right? And so in the Bible, and so what's kind of happened is that fasting is difficult. And so kind of what church culture has done, whether this was their motive for doing it or not, is they've tried to make fasting easier. They've tried to make it accessible for you. And in doing so, they take it away from what the Bible actually teaches about fasting. Every time a fast is mentioned, it is absence of food for a period of time. So there's no such thing in the Bible as a Daniel fast or a partial fast, right? The, the church created the Daniel fast because Daniel says uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not, gonna eat your, I'm not gonna eat your meat. I'll only eat grains and vegetables. And so the Bible said, so church culture said, this is a fast, but it's never called a fast, right? A fast is not eating food. And so if you're just saying, I'm gonna cut out sugar, right? My kids can't eat sugar in the month of January, something that we do, Right? They're not, they're not in a fast. They just don't get something that they want. They don't need sugar, but they want it. But it's not a fast. It's not, there's no such thing as a partial fast. And there's doubly no such thing as a social media fast or a no technology fast. Is this a good thing to do to cut that out of your life for an extended period of time or for all time? Yes, absolutely. 
but it's not a biblical fat. And if God's telling you to cut it out, you might be adding the timetable to it and not him. Like, oh God, you want me to get rid of Facebook? You want me to get rid of Instagram and TikTok? I'll get rid of it for a month. And he's like, that's not what I said. I said, get rid of it. You're like, ah, a month's good, right? Okay. And fasting, right? This, and, and, and what happens is it's so easy for us to have food that fasting is difficult. Having a full refrigerator and plenty of food, it's brand new to history. The, the other day, I, I was going to make some vegetables for dinner because I'm doing Whole30 for the month of January. It's not a fast, but it's still a trial and tribulation, okay? And so I'm going to, I'm going to my, my vegetable drawer to make some vegetables for dinner. And, and I go, you know, it's a drawer. And I wish it wasn't as deep. I wish it was wider so I had a better view. So I got down and I found a bag of green beans that were way past their prime. I just picked them up and, and put them straight to the garbage. And can you imagine going to somebody in like 800 AD who has a farm that only grows corn and potatoes and being like, yeah, I threw away some food. And they'd be like, what? Why? You need every bit you can get. This is the way people have lived life for centuries. And yet we have a full food. And so because we have so much, and I'm not just talking about food, I'm talking about everything. We have access to information. We have access to, to everything that makes our life easy. And in the ease, in the abundance that we have, we are hindered from God. It's much easier to pray, give me this day my daily bread, when you don't know if you're going to have bread or not. Now we just say it as an afterthought. Fasting was a way of life for the nation of Israel. And Jesus expected his church to continue it. Here's what he says in this Matthew, 29, or Matthew 9 chap chapter. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom, when he is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Look, we connect to God in real and tangible ways when we fast. We'll talk about this in a second. But in church history, they were taught to fast. Like the early church was taught to fast on a regular, scheduled basis. There is a book written in the first century, right? So first century means before 100 AD. So within 70 years of Jesus' death, there is a book called the Didache. It's also known uh, by the Lord's teaching of the 12 apostles to the nations. I think they just shortened it for ease. It's easier to say, read the Didache, than it is to say, read the Lord's teaching to the apostles of the nations. But it was a book written to first century followers of Jesus, and it taught converts the basics of Christianity. So if somebody became a new Christian in that time, and they didn't have a church in their town, because that happened all the time, people would get converted, they'd go back to their town, there's no church there. So they'd say, what do we do? How do we do it? How do I live this life? They would be given a copy of this. And this taught them how to live. And in the eighth chapter, it says this. It says, let not your fastings be with the hypocrites, Pharisees, for they fast on the second and fifth day of the week, but keep your fast on the fourth and on preparation day. So he's saying, look, the Pharisees fast on these days. We don't want Christians to get mixed up with Pharisees. So don't even fast on the same days that they fast, but you fast on these two days. And the fast was probably until nightfall or dinner time that night. It wasn't a full day. But they're saying, do it two times a week. 
This is what Christians were taught. And they saw real outcomes, real things that happened. We see this in the book of Acts. You want to know, okay, if I fast, what's the out, what can the outcome be? You can get direction from the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, they're worshiping, and they've been fasting. And then it says, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them, set aside Paul and Barnabas for my ministry. So they are fasting, worshiping, seeking God, and the Holy Spirit speaks right to them. Right? You can commit something or someone to the Lord. Right? These, uh, Paul and the, uh, his, his, uh, his people, they would go into these towns. They'd have all these converts. And in uh, Acts 14, verse 23, it says that they would have to leave them but before they left, they would pray and fast and commit those people over to the Lord because they didn't have a pastor to go to. They didn't have a church to go to. They were going to have to do it all on their own. So they would pray and fast for them to commit them and that region to the Lord. You can be used in more powerful ways by God. This is Mark 9, 28. God or Jesus is coming down from the mount and there's some disciples down there and there's a, a, a demonized boy there who's been having seizures and it tries to kill him and they fling him into the fire. And, and they're trying to, to get him out and a crowd has kind of gathered around it seems like. And they can't get him out and Jesus walks up to him and he's like, ah, you generation, let's get this done. And he talks to the father for a little bit, and he casts the demon out of the boy. It says the boy fell over as if dead. Then he, he's up, and he's fine, and he's healed, and he's restored. Then they walk away a little bit, and the disciples say, Jesus, man, how come we couldn't do it? You just came, and it was nothing. How come we couldn't do it? And he says, this kind only come out through prayer and fasting. So, so in this, Jesus is saying that, that it gives us more spiritual power or authority in some sense. Right? Here's the reality, is that there's a correlation between fasting and God's power, but we don't know what it is. We don't, the Bible doesn't say, if you fast, you'll have this power, and this is how you get it. But it makes clear that there's power in fasting. Isaiah 58 is probably the, the most common chapter quoted when it talks about fasting. I read it uh, a few weeks ago in the Word when I felt led by the Spirit. But here's what, in Isaiah 58, what fasting can do. It can loose the bonds of wickedness, undo straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke. And then light can break forth like the dawn. Your healing will spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call to the Lord, and He'll answer you. He'll guide you continually, and he'll satisfy your desire in strong places, and he'll make your bones strong. You'll be like a watered garden, and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. He says, if you fast the way that I've asked you to, the way that I've called you to, and there's more things. He says, pour yourself out for the poor. When you do that, when you fast, these are the things that happen. But we don't know why they happen. God just says, this is how it happens. And we have to be okay with saying, well, I don't know why I'm fasting, but I know God's going to do something through it. Here's why I think fasting has power. These are just my conjectures. 
It's because we make ourselves humble and desperate, and God meets with the humble and the desperate. I've I've been awake. I did a, I've done extended fasts, and there have been times where I've been like, I wouldn't sell my child for some food right now, but I'd sell one of our pets. Like I'd be okay with that, right? Probably the cat. Let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> Fasting is a form of denying ourselves to follow Jesus. Jesus says, "Take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me." Deny yourself. How do, we, how do we tangibly deny ourselves? What does denying yourself mean? You say you don't do something that you normally do for the good of seeking God. And fasting is not eating when you normally eat so that you can pursue Jesus. And when we deprive ourselves of something good for God, he gives us what's better. He gives us what's better. And here's what you have to know. I know some of you are thinking, you're going to ask us to fast, aren't you? Spoiler alert, yeah. And I know what some of you are, well, it's too hard. It's difficult. Yeah, it's not supposed to be easy. God doesn't give us these things to, to do to follow him because they're easy. He doesn't say, uh, hey, uh, deny yourself and, and take up your cross, follow me. When it's easy, when it doesn't cost you anything, when you don't feel pain or sorrow, all of that stuff. It's not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to kind of go into it and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm just skipping one meal, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. Will you meet me there? Will you get me through it? That's, that's the posture we're supposed to have, we're supposed to take I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about conversation with God, how God is transactional when we pray, and, and how we bring something, and then God gives something to us. God brings us something, and then we take something to him. And then I got to home group during the week, and a few people were like, we didn't like the way you use transactional. I was like, what? They're like, well, it's kind of dry. It's like, you're, it's like you're buying something, and God's giving it. And so I changed it. But the only thing I could think of, it's, it, they're bigger words, and so it's now more of a mouthful, right? The relationally reciprocal nature, <laughs> right? Because there's a relationship, and, God, and when we give, God gives back. And when God gives, we're supposed to give back. So there's the reciprocal part of it, but it's in relationship. So if, if that's too much, you can still say transactional and just blame people in my home group, okay? But it seems to be that regularly, it's an issue of us doing the hard thing and then him giving us the better thing in return. We see this throughout scripture. Abraham, or Abram at that time. Abram, leave your family. Leave the land that you've known. Leave everything behind. That's hard. He says, but if you go, I'm gonna set you into a promised land for you. And I'm gonna make of you a great nation. You do the hard thing, I'll give you the better thing. Gideon, you're hiding out in the basement, but you're a mighty warrior. If you just walk in courage and believe that I'm there with you, I will give you freedom for the nation. But you have to get out of the basement. You have to risk death. You have to fight in war, and you'll get the good thing. We see this throughout Scripture. 
And fasting has the spiritual counterpart. What's the, what's the better thing than fasting? The spiritual counterpart is a feast. God's saying, you deny yourself, I'll give you myself. You, you step away from something you need, and you will see that I am only thing you need. I am the bread of life. And so the feast that is most often described in the New Testament is the Lord's Supper. Communion, it's called communion. It's called the table, the Eucharist. I think, I think for, for me, I've, I've decided to get away from calling it communion. This is just a personal thing. If people call it communion, it's not wrong. It's not bad. For me, personally, I want to, I want to separate my, my beliefs that I was kind of ingrained with about it that I think are not wrong but are not sufficient to what actually happens when we eat the Lord's Supper. And so I'll just refer to it as the Lord's Supper or the table. But when we talk about feasting, in the Bible, the image of a table and feasts on a big table, it's metaphorical for the presence of God or him being involved in some way. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Isaiah 25 talks about it. Song of Solomon says, uh, my beloved brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Luke chapter 12 the, the call, the clarion call of the gospel and the kingdom of God is likened to a feast being prepared. Revelation chapter three, it says, look, if you seek and pursue, if you knock, I'll come in, I'll come in, I'll come into your presence. And what does he say? I'll dine with you. And then the final culmination is the marriage supper of the lamb. So the table is a metaphor for the very presence of God. This is why one experience of God's presence for Christians is the Lord's Supper. That, that's, why, that's why we do this. It's to experience God's presence in it. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read this almost every time. We take the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took of the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's a remembrance, but it's also a proclamation. And coming to the table together, coming into that place, it was a place where the church was to experience the presence of God. The dominant, and I would say probably the only view of the early church was that God's presence was in the act of, I put it there, still there for our 
terms today, in the act of communion, in the act of the Lord's Supper, they all believed that somehow God's presence was there. The church largely today takes a memorialist view. It's only about remembering. It's only remembering what he's done. It's only that. And if we went and said that to somebody in 150 AD in Ephesus, they would say, what? That's not even a thing, really? The early church, uniformly, if you go and read what the early church wrote about this, that the presence of God was in the act of the Lord's Supper. Now, that's not to say that they believed that it became the physical body and the physical blood, right? But they believed that something mystical happened as they ate together and as they drank the wine together. And they can't really explain it. And it's better, I think it's better when you can't explain the mystical. Because when we try to explain the mystical, we get views like it's just about remembering. It's about remembering. But there's something at play here in the spiritual realm that we may not understand or know. They believed that there was a mysterious union between man and God at the table. They believed that, that when we do this as a rite, as a sacrament, that we would actually meet with God. And they believed that for 1,500 years. And then one man changed that. His name was Zwingli. You can look him up. But he said, ah, no, we, there's nothing there. It's just kind of a memorial. So there's nothing there. The only presence of God is in the, the, the word of God. And so it changed. But we, I believe, I believe that there's a mysterious union between man and God when we take the Lord's Supper. And if you ask me to explain it, I'll say I can't. And if you say, well, I want an explanation. And I'll say, well, become okay with mystery. Because mystery is in the presence of God. There's, a, there's this union. Look, it says, look, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation of the body of Christ? Participation is the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. It's what we translate as fellowship. We have fellowship with God in the cup and in the bread and that's why Paul says, don't eat anything sacrificed to idols because then you'll have fellowship with demons. But when we take of this, we have fellowship with God. When you take the bread, take the cup, God's in it. And here's the craziest thing about this. This is the passage that doesn't get read when we go take the Lord's Supper, when churches do communion. But this is the only spiritual discipline in the New Testament where you can die if you do it wrong. If I read the Bible, if I'm reading the Bible and, and I'm thinking and I'm like, huh, I think that's what this verse is saying. And that's not what this verse is saying. God doesn't strike me dead. Thank God. You ever look back at some of the stuff you believe 15 years ago and be like, what? But I've never read the Bible and been like, huh. I think that this says this, and it means the exact opposite, and lightning comes through the house. I've never, I, I, I used to try to pray first thing in the morning. 
just didn't work for me. If it works for you, God bless you. But I would fall asleep. Right? Again, all right, God, I'm awake. All right. Whew. Oh, Jesus. I think. <sighs> right to sleep. But you know what? I woke up again. I didn't die. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This is not something to be played with, not something to be toyed with. In the Old Testament, the priests would have to cleanse themselves spiritually and ritually before they could enter into the presence of God. Because if they didn't, they would die. And so when we come to the table, we have to spiritually cleanse ourselves. We don't need the rituals anymore because Jesus died for our cleansing, for our righteousness, for our purity. But I think that's the same thing that's happening. These people were going to the table. And, and Paul tells them what they were doing. You're getting drunk. You're, you're not sharing what you have with people. You're coming with the wrong motives and the wrong motivation. And so when you, you and you're not repenting, you're not discerning yourself, you're not opening yourself up and saying, God, is there anything in me that I need to repent of right now? And because you're not doing that, you're dying. You're getting sick. You're getting ill. He says, look, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with all the world. This is not something to be toyed with. It's not a flippant thing when we come together like this. And so we're going to take that in a, in a minute. We're going we're gonna to do that, and I'm going to give you time to discern yourselves. Because also what it says in, Ma in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that, okay, if you need, if you need to, to check yourself, then check yourself. Repent, do that. Do the work, and then take it. He doesn't say go home and come back when you're better. He doesn't say go home and come back when you're perfect. Then say, go home, do these prayers, do these things, go fast, pray, read your Bible, do all that, and then come back. He says, no, do it right there. Work it out with God right there, and then take of it, because they don't want you to miss the presence of God that's in the elements. So here's what we're going to do about this. I want to do fasting again as a church. I'm asking you to fast on Mondays throughout 2023. You can fast one meal, but set an end time. If you say, I'm going to skip breakfast, then don't eat until you have lunch. Don't be like at 10 a.m. It's like, oh, it's past breakfast time. I'm going to make me some eggs and bacon. Skip a whole meal until the next meal. Right? Skip two meals. Do 24 hours. The way we've normally done it and the way we'll continue to do it and the way that's probably best, especially for people who want to start uh, doing 24-hour fasts if they've never done one, is you stop eating by 6 o'clock on Sunday. Then you go 24 hours to 6 o'clock on Monday, and at 6.01, you start eating. 
That means you start dinner before that. So right at six, it's hot and ready to go because the first few times you'll be hungry. But if you want to fast on Mondays with us on your Connect card, this says I'll fast on Mondays. And maybe you're like, I can't fast every Mondays, but I'd like to fast some Mondays. That's okay. Put it on there. I'm not going to do a 24-hour fast. Skip one meal. Work yourself up to it. But if there's, if, there's, if there's power in it, if things happen when we fast, if the relationally reciprocal nature of God says that when we fast, we experience these things, these gifts, these blessings from God, then why wouldn't we fast? So if you want to fast, put that on your Connect card. Put it on the Connect box on the left side on your way out. And we don't check up on you. Like, I don't email everybody on Tuesday and be like, did you eat? Because if you did, don't come to church Sunday. <laughs> don't, take, don't take the Lord's Supper that Sunday. You'll die, right? No. You commit, but set yourself. Don't just say, oh, I'll fast every Monday. Say, I'll fast the first Monday. I'll fast the third Monday. I'll fast every Monday. And then feel free. I fast, I fast every Monday. Not Memorial Day. It's a good day to grill. Right? Not Labor Day. It's fun. If I'm on vacation, I'm feasting. I'm not fasting. Right? We, we, and then, so we're going to fast, but we're also going to feast every Sunday. We started this last week, and it's going to continue on. Uh, our Sunday morning prayer, which starts at 9.20, and then we spend a half hour in prayer here together. Every Sunday, the Lord's Supper and its elements are available for you to come and take. For that to be part of your prayer, part of what you're doing that morning to connect with God and to experience his presence. It's available every Sunday, 9.20 a.m. So we have both. We, we feast on Sunday mornings and we stop eating on Mondays or Sunday nights. This is what we're doing. And I know what some of you are thinking. Man, you've given us a lot the last few weeks. Absolutely. Okay, I'm not, I'm not a really strong guy, but if I went to the gym and I sat down on the bench press, you just put that bar up there, I can lift the bar. No problem. But is that going to build anything for me? I have to do like 50 reps. Probably couldn't do 50 reps, let's not lie. I have to do like 20 reps before anything even started to take effect. You put that 35-pound plates on the side, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I can, I can do a couple. I don't know if I can still do the 45s. It's been a while. But do you understand what I'm saying? You have to, there's some lifting that needs to happen. We started initiatives around reading scripture. We have our 50 weeks in the word. Being in conversation with God. Uh, the irony struck me this morning that I told you that I'm now just largely gonna refer to prayer as conversation with God rather than just prayer. But I called our initiative 21 days of prayer. If I was 
thinking ahead. I would have called it 21 days of conversation. But we have people signing up to be here one hour uh, every day until for 21 days. We started last week. We had all this covered. We still have a couple days this week open. The calendar's on the back. To get to the open days, you have to flip up to February. If you want to double up, you don't have to come at the same time as anybody, but if somebody else is coming, you could still come on that day. We've had people double up already to just sign up for an hour of prayer here in the worship center. Uh, Hours a long time, I know. But we have guides to help you. It goes by very quickly. So we're, we're, and now we're doing fasting. But here's the reality. Right? As a church, as your pastor, I want you to grow. I want you to become spiritually mature. I want you to, to be able to stand when the time comes that we're going to have to stand. And growth does not happen in stagnation. If you, there, me and my family, we walk at the soccer complex in the Greenway a lot. And there are places that I know when we walk by, it's going to stink. Why? Because there's just standing muddy, gross water. I'm like, oh, this part stinks. Plug your nose. Why? Because it's stagnant. Nothing goes in. Nothing comes out. And, 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 and so all I'm doing is all I've done is given you, hey, here's three things to do so that God can transform you. So that God can, can meet you as you pursue him in these disciplines. Look, uh, here's what I put. And... Uh, faith will not be a breakthrough church that needs a new breakthrough every month. We want the power, the presence, the glory of God. We want to see the gifts of his Holy Spirit active and and in use. When we gather, we want all of that. But I've been to so many churches who believe the same thing, and then every time they're praying, breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. But the breakthrough comes during the week when you submit yourself to God. You shouldn't have to come to church to get a fresh word every day. You shouldn't, you shouldn't need a prophetic word before you go and do something. If God's told you to do it, you do it. Now, a prophetic word can be a good confirmation, and I love good confirmation. But absent the confirmation, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm not going to come hoping. I just, oh, man. Like we had last month, I hope the Holy Spirit just falls in worship and Charles doesn't even preach. Because I, I, I don't know your motivations for that, but, right, I just want every, that's what I want every week. I don't want that every week. I want the Holy Spirit to be present in our worship. I want to be present in our word. I want to be present in our praise. I want to be present as we take from the Lord's Supper. I want him to be present in our fellowship. I want him to be present when we pray for one another. I don't want it just to look the same way all the time and that we have to stir up some emotions so that we get a breakthrough so we can make it through the week. You want to make it through the week? Fast, get in your word and have conversation with him. That's where your breakthrough comes. All of that to say, man, his presence is here with us. Like the Bible tells us that. It says, when you gather in my name, I'm there. It says that he resides in the praises of his people. And so he's here, and so he brings breakthrough. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not ever any breakthrough. But I'm saying when you're relying on an emotional experience on a Sunday or at an abide or at some other thing that we do at a conference, 
if you're relying on some emotional pick-me-up every time, you're way over here on experiencing God and you're just being tossed to and fro and I don't want you to be tossed to and fro. I know what happens when you get tossed to and fro. I've been tossed to and fro. But we still want this because I've also been there where I've said, well, if you just read your Bible more, then everything will be okay. Oh, this wrong thing going on in your life, it's probably because you're not praying enough. No, you need to experience God and he needs to deliver you from something. He needs you to find freedom. He needs you to find inner healing in something. And so you need an experience. Just come together right in the middle, right here. And find healthy breakthrough, healthy balance, and the goodness of God that's found in that. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have our time of reflection. And I want you to reflect on your position with God. Because we are going to take from the Lord's Supper this morning. I don't want anybody to get sick or ill or die. So I want you to reflect on your position with God. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's no better morning than today. That he's saying, come to me, I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll give you a light yoke, an easy burden. If we repent We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so if if you're not a Christian, then then that can be something that happens right now where you just say, Lord, I'm following you. I lay myself aside and I just go to you. But if today's not the morning, if if you still need to wrestle, then when the elements come, just let them pass by you. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to remember. Nobody's going to care. And the rest of us, we have made that decision. Don't take of this undiscerning of what's been happening in your life. Take this time. Father, forgive me for the way that I spoke to my children. Father, forgive me for cutting corners at work. Father, forgive me for not loving people. Whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, just repent of it. Just uh, confess it to God in that moment. And as promised, he'll wash you pure snow. He'll take that thing that you gave him and he'll throw it as far as the east is from the west into the river of forgetfulness and then take and eat together. Then we're gonna take of the feast, and then we're gonna worship. So that's what the rest of the morning's gonna look like. We have, we'll have one song afterwards. So Lloyd, Jeff, can you guys help me? I didn't ask you beforehand. And uh, Andy, if we could just have like some of the prayer music going on as we we give or as we take father we may not know how we may not fully understand it we may not be able to put it in a nice theological box we might not be able 
might not be able to, to explain it to, to a skeptic father. But your word teaches that you're here in what we are doing. That there's this union, that we have a fellowship with you as we take from the cup and as we eat the bread. That there's a fellowship. God, don't don't let us miss us this morning. Maybe if it's our first way of thinking about this, don't let us miss it this morning because it's not what we've always been taught. It's not what we've always thought. It's not what we've always known. Let's look to your word that says when we take, we're in fellowship with you when we do it. And let's remember what you did as we fellowship with you. So Father, bless the elements. Bless what you set before us. Bless our feast, Father. In the name of Jesus.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take together. tells us we can have you, we want you. We want you in the word and prayer and fasting and feasting, Father. You are good. You are so good. I just remember that as we sing. If you'll stand. You still call me friend. 
trips ago when we took the Lord's Supper, um, there's a child who's spiritually sensitive, and um, as they as we took it, he looked over at his mom and dad and he said, "Why did everybody's eyes get brighter?" Right? So leave here with your eyes brightened and your head held high. We were just in the presence of God. Man, we'll see you Wednesday night for Bible study. If not, we'll see you next week for Tim's send off. God bless. Amen.